it's easy to get sucked into every day being go, 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 go. I have to get this done today. I have to get this done today. And, and the reality is you just have to make progress on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have Josh Ledgard. He is the CEO of Kickoff Labs. Kickoff Labs is a software tool that allows you to make landing pages, contests, giveaways, to grow your email list, or to validate if you're going to launch a startup. And what's impressive, he's done this without raising any money. They've been around for over 10 years and are doing extremely well. And this episode's super fun because we talk about He was working at Microsoft, then a startup, and how he left those and was able to build up a nest egg to start his own company, but he didn't know what it was going to be. And he went through his process of how he had 10 ideas, narrowed it down to two, eventually settled on this. And then we break down how he got his first 100 customers, 500 customers, 1,000 customers. And after that, we then talk about how you can use his tool to really validate your own startup idea or how you can really kind of explode and grow your email list. But this one's really helpful for anyone that's thinking about making that leap to start their own thing, tactics for how to really, in a bottoms-up way, acquire new customers um, and then grow your business. So really hope you enjoyed this episode with Josh. All right, today on the podcast, I have someone who is actually in my backyard as well, living in Seattle, but has a tool I've been using for a while called Kickoff Labs. And I'm excited to pick his brain and get all of his secrets on how to use it the right way. But Josh Ledgard is here. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. So first, at a high level, like what is Kickoff Labs? And can you speak to anything around the size of it, whether it's team or customers you have or, or any numbers? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll go through a couple of things. So Kickoff Labs, our goal is to make it easy for people to create a giveaway in minutes. So the use cases for that, people are setting up things like sweepstakes, like enter to win and earn bonus entries, a product launch, where they're getting people excited about a new feature or an entirely new product or just generally a way to keep their lists engaged with the referral program for their email list or referral program for purchases or their SaaS business. And so there's a lot of different things, but what I like to think about at its root is that Kickoff Labs helps people build more engaging marketing campaigns. So rather than you just speaking at people and yelling advertisements at people, you still might need to advertise, but Kickoff Labs helps you by creating a more engaging experience deeper in in the funnel. So you have people on your email list instead of just sending them like a newsletter every every month or every couple of weeks, like why not just run some fun contests or send out a quiz or do something that's a little bit more engaging. And what we found in the years of doing this is that it it can't take makes something out of nothing. So if you spend if you if you say I'm going to set up a Kickoff Labs campaign and I'm going to spend no effort marketing that kickoff labs campaign, then your results are going to look like you spent no effort marketing it. But when I talk to customers about success and what their success looks like, I always say, my goal is if you spend $100 worth of marketing effort 
behind something that we want you to get 150 or 200 dollars out of it if we want if you spend a thousand dollars we want you to get a thousand five hundred or two thousand dollars out of it and that's generally what we've seen when people run successful campaigns is that a tool like kickoff labs works as an amplification effect on existing marketing or in addition to existing marketing creating that engagement leads to referrals and it just amplifies the the value that you're getting out of a out of a specific marketing campaign or email engagement with your customers you asked about the size of the company so kickoff labs we're a small company there's a few of us so we're scattered around the country so we've been a hundred percent remote since 2011 and we've had thousands and thousands of customers in that time so we've literally had customers that range from like cupcake shops up to fortune 100 companies using the product for for different campaigns and i love that diversity and scale of the business it just keeps keeps me excited because like they're all you know kind of the same what, what what we're helping them do yeah and for people that are like thinking through oh what's the application of kickoff labs like as a having a growth agency we use this with our clients all the time and some iconic examples are like harry's in the past had their tiered referral mechanism like you can use a technology like kickoff labs to do that where hey invite five friends get a shave set invite 25 friends get yep. free blades robin hood had an iconic one around mm -hmm. getting on the wait list for free trading with no commission and a lot of companies want to pull this off but it's hard because you don't have technical people to do it and kickoff labs allows you to do that out of the box which is which is super impactful and so i i want to get we're going to get into some of the best practices mm -hmm. on how people can use this but before even starting kickoff labs like what was life for you before being ceo of kickoff labs yeah, so I've always worked in software companies. So I started my career at, at Microsoft and I worked there for about seven years and really just got a great, I would never say anything bad about somebody wanting to work for a large company. I mean, it was a, a lesson in how to systematize shipping software and the, the fundamentals of software that you need to care about for shipping a product. You do kind of get unfortunately siloed into you're in this part of the development group and you work on these like small little things. And so it was hard to sort of feel like a like a bigger impact or you know if you wanted to ex get exposure to marketing, it's well, you're in the product teams, you don't have exposure to marketing. That's a whole nother building. They're like two blocks over. And so I left that because I wanted to get exposure to the other side of the businesses because I wanted to, I knew I eventually wanted to start my own company. And I went and I worked for a company that was really a, a partner of Microsoft. It was called Intelligent at the time. Um, it was founded by a Microsoft person who brought me on board and they said, hey, do you want to come lead the product team? And I said, sure, that sounds great. So, you know, while I was there, we grew the product team from, from about five people to about 35 people. They took funding while I was there. So as part of the, the fun funding rounds, and I got to see all of the, the marketing, the sales side of things. And um, what I learned from that, other than getting exposure to the side of the business, is that their business was focused on online communities. And so these were the early days. So like I said, back in 2009, 2010, the early days of like online blogs, wikis, forums. And so sort of the early days of those things really becoming important. And they served, you know, the customers that we had there were like Dell and Microsoft that were running their support forums, like their public communities and starting to build this concept of community and customer engagement, which is actually what I'd been working on the last couple of years 
at Microsoft. And at the time at Microsoft, under the kind of bomberization of Microsoft, there was a group of us that really tried to convince them like, hey, you know, we should really get into these public communities and like really stretch into it. But nobody saw a business there. There's no business in communities where Windows and Office and like those are the businesses. And so that's why I took the chance and left. I worked for Intelligent for about four years. And, you know, after they took the funding and the CEO left at Intelligent that brought me on board, they brought in a, a new business style CEO. I stayed on for another another couple of years after that, but it just wasn't the same experience. And I was just felt like I was just working really, really hard. And I just had like my first my first child. And I was like, wow, this is putting in 60 hours a week and I'm not getting what I want out of the job in terms of the experience, any you know, new experiences anymore. And I'm not getting the freedom that I wanted. And frankly, it just didn't look like the company was on a path to have a strong equity exit. And so when you combine all those things together, you're like, is this really worth it? Or should I just be doing something else? And so decided to take the plunge and uh, saved up some money for a while and started uh, started Kickoff Labs with Scott Watermazic that I met at uh, Intelligent. That's awesome. So what's cool is you're at Microsoft, you're getting like this kind of big company exposure from like one of the best. You then go to a startup where you can almost get like a informal MBA and how to run a business sales marketing, everything else Mm -hmm. to where there's like this idea of escape velocity from people from a company that start their own. Like you're building up all this momentum to do something on your own. And I think a lot of people are super eager to want to just go, but like getting like learning on someone else's dime while you're also helping them can be very impactful. So how did you come up with the idea for kickoff labs and when was it the right point to leave and jump off and do your own thing because i think a lot of people struggle with those inflection points of when to move everybody's different and everybody has different needs or you're absolutely right so it was on my part it was a very intentional plan to get those different experiences you know when i graduated college getting the offer from microsoft was very much oh get to see how it's really made in like a professional way and that's kind of what it felt like and then you know, leaving, like I said, was intentional. Deciding to start on my own. I mean, it's something I knew that I wanted to do. Some people just dive right in and they're like, I will figure it out. And I have so much respect for those people and the confidence in themselves that they have. But I just, I was like, no, I was a planner. I'm going to minimize the risk. We're going to save money for three years and basically have enough to like pay my bills. And so frankly, with my family at the time, my my wife was like, okay, well, you know, here's your invoice from the family every month, you know, wherever you're paying it from, I don't care, but you've got to pay it. And it was it was it was a great thing to do because you know it it really motivated you to be like oh wow this business has to start generating some revenue quick you know so we also even to extend the runway took some consulting jobs on the side for the first year until we started getting revenue and so you know for me it was the decision was made you know it was just something I knew I wanted to do I've liked about half the bosses I've had I've not liked about half the bosses I've had and I was like I don't like the risk of like your career being in the hands of just whoever you happen to be working for at the time and so maybe it's selfish I don't I just believed in myself that he could do it. And my co-founder at the time, when I told him I was leaving, when I told him I was leaving that company, he's like, oh, you're going to beat me by two months. And I was like, what? And he's like, well, I was going to give you my notice next month. And I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I have had this plan. I've saved some money and I want to start my own business. And I was like, we should talk. And it turns out we'd save within, we'd done the same math. Like we must have read the same articles and figured out <laughs> what we needed. And we're like, we're like, all right, we, we should just work together because two has got to be more fun than not, than just trying to do it on your own. So we decided to work together and we really like, we really ran the gamut. Like 
in terms of businesses, like we had a bunch of ideas and we literally wrote, I think 50 or 50, 50 to 60 different one paragraph versions of ideas out, like of things we thought we could do. And then you start, we start striking them off. Like, all right, you know, a, we, we both like beer, like a blog about beer. Like, all right, that's, we don't see how we're going to make money of that. We're not good promoters. Like neither of us are writers. We just don't see how that we don't have an expertise in that area. So you start crossing things off of the list that way. And then at the end, we came down to, we came down to about 10 things. We wrote out like two page business plans for the 10 things of what it would look like. And then from that, you just find a whole bunch of other holes. You're like, ah, you really need this expertise to do this business. And you, you, you start like doing the, like I said, I was, I was about minimizing risk. And so I looked at the ones with the biggest risks and like kind of crossed them out. And we left with five different business ideas. And from those five, we then kind of had the Tim Ferriss approach, the four hour work week of, okay, how do we validate th these business ideas? Like we should just set up a page and get people to sign up and see which one is the best idea. And then being software developers, we said, we should just build a product that does that. So the make our validation of these other businesses is easy. So we actually built kickoff labs to validate five different other business ideas. And because the thinking was like, not only do we want to see if we get people to sign up, but was the idea interesting enough that people would share it? Right. And so we wanted to have that sharing and the referral mechanism built in as we figured if we weren't going to ask for money up front, we had to ask for more than just their attention to say, like, do you think this is worth signing up for? Yes or no. That's one level. Do you think you would tell, you know, can you tell friends about it and could you convince them to sign up? And we looked at the ideas and there were really three that took off from that perspective of that form of the validation. So now we'd gone from six down to three ideas. And then we eliminated one of them. And then we started building two ideas. And we literally, for the first year and a half, had two products that we were building. One was Kickoff Labs. The other one was a product called Sif Social. And the idea was kind of Hootsuite before it was Hootsuite. But we were really leaning in on the, the Twitter APIs. And so even back then, they had a hostile attitude towards people using their APIs. And so <laughs> we had two problems with that product. One was like it the enterprise, it was more enterprisey. So the enterprise sales cycle was taking so long to start to get revenue. And the other problem was we just saw this impending doom of relying on the platform of Twitter that was like, it's up, it's fail whaling, it's not fail whaling. They're going to let developers do it. They're not going to let developers do it. And they could just shut us down in a day. It just doesn't seem the smartest thing to do. And I think we probably could have made it work. And some companies made it clearly made it work at the time. But like for us, it was like, no, we're revenue projections for kickoff labs just keep growing. And so let's just go with that. That's so cool. I love hearing people's process of one, like creating that nest egg to give you runway. So you have this like kind of timeline of how to do this. And then how people validate ideas, how you're saying no to things. And because I was interested to hear the ideas and you listed one and then why you said no, just because of the risk factor being built on somebody else's platform. So what is that first version of Kickoff Labs? And how did you, because you talk about making money in your revenue projections, like when did you go from, oh, this is working to, oh, this is making money? And I guess another way to position is like, how'd you get your first 10 or 100 customers where you start to think to yourself, Wow, this works. So we, as soon as we decided that, okay, well, let's invest some more in this. Like I said, we'd already built like a skeleton of the product to do, put up our own pages for those other ideas. And we just said, all right, let's just go heads down and add accounts for it and a pricing page and see if people will sign up. Even if it's manual, they have to enter their credit card. We have to approve the 
the set and set up their account. Like, oh, there was a lot of behind the scenes manual that you just wouldn't have today with like a Stripe at the time. <laughs> and we're just like, we're just going to put it up. And we're going to charge 10 to $30 a month, depending upon the, the number of campaigns you want to run. Like it was really simple, low pricing. And we started just telling our friends about it and just saying like, hey, you know, here's this. If you could help us spread the word and like friends and family, like they may not have been customers, but they knew people who could be customers and spread the word. And we started to get our first couple customers that way. But then really didn't start taking off until we started really kind of going after what you say, like, how do you get your first few customers? We looked at other people in the space. So there are other people doing landing pages. There were other people kind of doing contesty platforms, other people doing referral platforms. And we just got involved in those discussions. So one of our early things, like people would ask questions on Quora because Quora had just started at that time, the question and answer site. And people ask, would ask marketing questions like, how do I validate this idea? Or how do I set up a landing page for my book? Or how do I do that? And we would just answer the question. And hey, one option is to use this product right here. You know, and by the way, here's you know some other tips for, for doing it. And in the second year, we did that a lot in the first six months after we had a pricing page. You sort of didn't see an effect. You're like, oh, well, that was a lot of time answering questions I didn't see. And then the second year of business, we went back and we looked at the attribution and we'd made 20,000 in revenue from four different Quora posts. (laughs) Now, the difficult thing is you don't actually know at the time you're writing it, which are the four posts that are going to bring you the 20,000 revenue. But the amount of time was definitely worthwhile, right? And so... Mm -hmm. Getting, getting engaged in that community where potential customers were and just being a part of the discussion and being seen and heard as part of the discussion with a link in our biography that says, this is who we are, that was gold. And we would also look for online mentions of competitors and be like, hey, you know, and we'd reply and say, hey, what do you not like about their solution? And we weren't trying to say like, you need to try ours because it'll fix that problem. Like I literally did want to know like, what do they not like about it? Because we may not be a fit either, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you want. But if it's one of these things, we can help you because we look to differentiate ourselves from competitors and with different features and different different positions. And so being able to ask that question of somebody who's frustrated of a competitor and having the confidence to know that, hey, half the time, a lot of time people might tell you to F off and that's fine. You just got to get used to that because people are going to do it. But the result is a lot of them did come over and purchase the product. And so I would say that those two things really contributed to like customers. I, I used to do a presentation called your first 998 customers. And so I broke <laughs> it out by the first 10, the first hundred. And so that really scaled from like the first 10 to first hundred customers I was kind of just focusing on those two things use, using it. And then once we had that base of customers coming in, it was really focused on relentless execution on the product of does this, this customer's asking for something else. Does it fit with what we see as this vision for customer engagement? If so, let's just prioritize what they want. They're paying us money. And we would literally ask customers, like would ask us sometimes and say, and say, hey, you know, do you have this feature? And we'd say, we would if you changed your billing to $30 a month. And you want, and if you want, you want to validate whether people really want a feature or not, tell them that their price is going to double, even if it's for 15 to 30. And you find out pretty quickly which features they really care about and which ones they don't. And so literally some people write back and say, you know, dude, I'll pay 50 if you do that, <laughs> like a month. And yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. So we started prioritizing those things. And like that relentless focus on like the customers has always been part of what I believe of what I believed in a business, but also just it drives referrals, right? It helps them feel more comfortable telling their friends, like, hey, I had a good experience. You know, you may not get them to custom develop a feature for you, but you know, that you do that a few times and you do that enough times and 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 it creates a positive vibe in the marketplace. 
Totally. And and some loyalty and just builds up your brand. I want to go deeper though, on the presentation, your first 998 customers. That sounds amazing. One, is there a place we can link that in the show notes? And then two, can you give us, I think you hit on the first hundred. What are the next levels? Because I love how you talk about doing scrappy things like core answers, looking at mentions, maybe through Google alerts. What's the next phase and what are the other layers of that? Yeah, absolutely. And so like, when, when when you break it down, you think about is that classic marketing style, like the concentric circle marketing, where like you start with, you know, the people you know that you're really close with and coworkers and friends. Then you go like the next level, like people you knew in college, people you've worked with, and then you go to the next level. And so the forums are really just an extension of that to go to Quora and like the online communities. It's like people in the space looking for a solution to it and where could we meet them in their communities. So then the next level after that is saying, okay, well, these forms are great for, you know, answering and maybe 10 people see an answer or maybe 100 people see an answer. But now that we've got some experience and some case studies, could we level that up and talk to maybe other people in the marketing space? So at the time, we went to companies like Kissmetrics and said, hey, like, our customers are also using your product. They're also using your product within our product. Can we do some blog posts and just share back and forth some guest blogs? So we would let them blog on our our blog and we would post a blog on their blog. Now, it was a much bigger win for us than it was for them (laughs) at the time. But it's basically, can you take some wins that you've got and what can you do to double down on those wins, right? So if I've got you know, enough customers and case studies and some content already written on my blog, then could I get in myself in front of a related audience, right? And so you look for not just, you know, individual discussions, but who else out there are micro-influencers in the space or even influential companies? And can you get in front of their audience somehow? So like today, it might be being like doing a podcast tour, like you know, there's some podcasters you could probably get on without much like background. And there's some podcasters where like, you've got to have some wins built up before they'll take you and an interview on the, on their podcast. Right. And so like constantly looking for, okay, what level am I at? Who's at the next level? How can I leverage their audience? Right. And so it's, it's not just thinking about like your own audience. It's, it's how do you leverage other people's audience to get your message in front of their audience in a win-win situation for both sides. That was kind of like the next, you know, hundred to to five hundred kind of level of uh, level of customers. That's awesome. It's like scrappy, then kind of leveling up, and even kind of hitting on call it partner channels or whatever else you want to call it. Because <laughs> I'm always fascinated with the progression of growth. Because I was talking to like the Privy CEO, and he talked about like leaning into the Shopify app marketplace is how we did it, and like mm-hmm. Ethan Berry with ConvertKit was like bottoms up and because he's going after an incumbent like MailChimp and how you have to own these small little niches and just level up from there. And I feel like, you, I mean, you're potentially owning your category of what you do. I mean, I see you guys as one of the true leaders in it, but no, man, that's, that's super interesting. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah. I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part. It costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service, 
Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. So did you guys raise any money or is this completely bootstrapped? Completely bootstrapped. I mean, obviously yeah. we raised money in the sense we funded ourselves for a year before we were paying ourselves a reasonable salary. So you can call that self-funded. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like the distinction like bootstrapped or not bootstrapped, like funded because to me, I view like we were kind of angel funded, but we were our own angels, right? Yeah. You invested sense. in yourself. Yeah. yeah. So we invested in ourselves, but it, it's not it's not like we started from, from zero on day one or like we have zero money in the bank and zero revenue. Some people imagine that's what bootstrappers do. I do think a lot of bootstrappers do what we did, which is they really just, they have a seed fund of their own and they're just digging out of that seed fund to, to get things done. Yeah. And you don't give up any equity, which is nice. So get, talk about that as far as you're seeing traction, you're getting customers, but like the the thing that doesn't scare me with SaaS, but it's like an agency is easy to launch. Anybody can be like, I have an agency tomorrow and then they can make money from it. With SaaS, you're investing in building a technology. And then as it grows, you, you can potentially have feature bloat and have all these requests. How do you manage one, your time of your lean team focusing on product versus growth and how you're you're balancing that to to grow because I don't know and actually we'll get into pricing and stuff but what were those things that held you back from growth or things you did well that helped you grow with the lean team? Uh, so I would say things that have held us back from growth historically. I'll answer that part first. So being critical, I'd say it held us back not having somebody as a founding member of the team that's like a true marketing person. And so a lot of these marketing wins I'm talking about, it's easy in like this 10 minute conversation to make it seem like, oh, this is obvious. It was the next thing to do. <laughs> but at the time it was like, you know, I would have rather been writing any feature than going and answering questions on Quora. I would have rather done like just about anything technical than go talk to somebody about their, about their using a competitor and what they like and don't like about a competitor. And so I think the hardest thing for me has just been having that mindset shift on a regular basis and, and having those focus days of, okay, this week is marketing week, next week is product week. And just having, being able to create those barriers for yourself because you can't do everything at once or focus on everything at once and saying like, okay, what is our focus this way? And then to go down, you ask, like, you know, how do you balance like all these feature requests and feature bloat? And surely we've done this now since we're one of the older SaaS companies, I think since 2011, like, We've gotten a lot of feature bloat and we have absolutely retired features at this point. We have actually re-implemented features at this point <laughs> that we retired and then brought back in a different way that we liked better than we did the first time. And I think it just comes, I think it just comes down to maintaining that overall sense of is this along the lines of our vision of is it helping customers do this, this growth, right? Is it helping with their growth or is it not helping with their growth? And you have to be really harsh about looking at a feature and saying, this does not help at all with their growth or their experience. I know we invested a bunch of time in it, whatever it is, maybe it's time to let that go. 
and we're just not going to be in that space or we're not going to have that feature anymore. And so that's, you know, something that all products like probably have to look at over time and, and say to themselves, you know, is this really core to what we need to do? And then just, and then just strip it if it's not. And then the same has to apply to like marketing. Like I will, I'm happy to experiment and throw a lot of crap against the wall marketing. And a lot of it doesn't work and a lot of it, and some of it does work. And then just figuring out like, okay, what is working? And then what doesn't work? And then some things that do work, stop working over time, which is even more frustrating. You're like, this worked and now it doesn't work. (laughs) And, you know, something like Facebook ads, like it can work. And then Apple just caps everyone. And if you weren't an expert at Facebook ads, your Facebook ads don't work Mm -hmm. anymore. If you were an expert at Facebook ads, you probably figured some workarounds and got around the the privacy changes at Facebook. And I know people that did, but for us, it was like, wow, this just doesn't work anymore as a mechanism. Gotcha. And, and like today, what, what's the key driver for you all? Is it, you know, the fact that you've built a brand and people come to you, I think you'll have amazing content as the content that's Mm -hmm. working, or is, is it a little bit of everything? It is. I mean, at this point, it's a little bit of everything, but I I really don't like that answer because it's a total cop-out. If you look (laughs) at the data, the data tells me that the real answer is we've built up a reputation and a library of content. And I see that in two ways. So you see that in just other online discussions and blog posts where people mention us and we get that reputational link to our website, which boosts our SEO. And so we see a lot of people just coming to our website through the SEO. And then just the content we put out does get a lot of people coming as well. And then I wouldn't say we also, we run a monthly contest. (laughs) So we do run a monthly contest and we also run our own referral program. And we get a lot of revenue from new revenue from the referral program we run with customers. And we get a lot of revenue and new customers from the contest we're running on a regular basis. Very cool. And then the thing that like David Sachs, who's like at Craft Ventures, a big software as a service SaaS guy, he had this interesting line about if you're if it's a product led founder he usually sees them go with product led growth where it doesn't have a sales team a lot of times they'll go after smb so it's a lot of self service and a lot of times he'll see founders that are really good at sales will do more of enterprise software and build up a sales team like i guess like a question cuz even us as we look at going into saas i always struggle with what's the right thing for our skill set is it like a tech stat or a product that's really much sales enabled, or is it going down this product-led growth kind of approach? And and you guys, I mean, you have a free version. It's people can do, you've got the pricing exposed. You could jump in. I think you might have custom prices as well. But is that something that you were ever conflicted on trying to decide, oh, go up funnel or upstream and go super premium enterprise or always wanting to have, because you kind of mentioned you have a wide range of clients. Mm -hmm. It's like the bakery and then the big sophisticated company, but any color on having to either make that decision or or not? Yeah. So I don't like having, obviously I've not liked having to make that decision. (laughs) So, cause we, so we've left it open, but a couple of things we have done really intentionally, which is one on our pricing, nothing is unlimited and nothing on our pay our pricing you would see on a service is something that like could be used by a fortune 500 company without having to contact us and pay a lot more for what they would want to do for the most part so like we limit the views we limit the the subscription and conversion rate per minute we limit the referrals like we put a lot of limits that don't affect people who are like you know a mom and pop shop like site or or store putting up like 50 dollars a month for us that doesn't affect them at all but if you're an enterprise customer 
there's signals in our pricing that has told them that like they should contact us because they know they're going to need more uh, yeah. than what than what we're doing. And so that has been a very intentional part of what we've done to make sure that we're just not giving away something to customers that like that they can't that that they wouldn't have to contact us if they're within a certain price range to get to speak to somebody about like, hey what can we do here's what we want to do and like we do like having that relationship with customers the thing we've learned about one of the reasons that we haven't killed off having a free tier is that we've not really ever focused on just growing our newsletter so our growth we we get people onto our newsletter and into our ecosystem by them creating a free account and that's been an intentional strategy because we want to have them exposed to the product a little bit and we've also seen now like being around if you're around more than a couple of years we've had customers that have signed up and they were like trying to run their own startup they maybe had some success or didn't have success, but now they work at a big company for a year and they're like, hey, I use this product. And they introduced us to their boss at the company. And now the company wants an enterprise account, right? And so if we had just gone with the enterprise account strategy, it'd be a lot harder to get those kind of referrals of people who like used us maybe on a lower price plan, but now they work at a big company, but we get those referrals now, right? And so that's why it's been hard for me to say, okay, I, I don't want to turn off the, the lower end pricing. Having a free account or not, that's a that's a different story. And like how, you know, there's some things we're looking at doing to like further limit the free, free truly free accounts of people that just, there's a lot of people I think take advantage of it on different software. Um, but having at least a way for people to experience the product without having to contact us in a do-it-yourself basis, I think helps any anybody even if they're selling enterprise solutions because I, I look at some of these websites like you mentioned that have contact us for pricing and i get it does enable them to do the pricing game of you know two people come with the different size wallets even if they need the same thing you can charge one of them 600 <laughs> a month and the other one 60 dollars a month and never have to tell the two that like they're paying two different prices there is something attractive about that if you're a good salesperson, but for me, I've, I've never really liked it. And I like the, the concept of this is what you get. This is what you're, you're paying for. And then if you like it and you need more of it, then we can talk about, you know, get it, pulling out the bigger wallet at that point. Yeah. I, I love your point on just giving the product for free to experience it. Cause sometimes your product is your best marketing and let it do all the talking for you. And it's a good way to build the email list. But yeah. I hear you. Yeah, I like, I do sales at our agency and sometimes it sucks my soul just cause I feel like I'm saying the same thing again and again, and I'm getting dumber from it. And yeah, that's why I, I, I wish we could do self-serve onboarding for our agency, but I don't think that's really, really an option at this point. Very cool. Well, one last question before I actually want to get some advice on how people should use your product. You've built something very impressive with Kickoff Labs. It's been going for a while. What's what's the end goal? And maybe you don't have one, but it's like SaaS acquisitions have amazing exits. Are you ever tempted by that carrot that, that could be out there? Or it's like, you've got a great lifestyle setup and it's like, you need to run this and maybe you're just getting started with it. But how do you and your team and your partner, like, how do you all navigate the 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 end goal or the vision with this yeah that's a great question it is something i do think about a lot um my personal viewpoint is i enjoy the lifestyle that i get from running the business and the freedom that i have from having a team of people that like can take care of stuff if i need to take next week off i can take next week off i need to work i can work if i need to work saturday i work saturday if i don't need to then i don't like i, I love the mm -hmm. flexibility that i have in my life and so that would be something i'd be i'd be loath to give up certainly the exit 
is nice, but I wouldn't want to exit myself. I know I'd get really bored, so I don't plan <laughs> exiting unless two things, everybody has a number. So there is a number where it's like, oh yeah, I would totally exit for that number, which is, you know, something I could see is within reach of what we want to do. But then at the same time, I know I'd almost want to have something already started on the side and be like, okay, this is what I'm going to spend, you know, the next five years focused on. And, you know, part of me is part of me thinks, like, okay, when I find that, then maybe I'll consider more like these offers. Cause you do get, when you run a business, and it's profitable in SaaS, you know, we do get pitched of, hey, we could buy your company or, hey, we could do that. And mm -hmm. like every now and then, if it seems like a fit, I'll listen to it. But mm -hmm. I haven't heard, you know, the number that I want. And I think this year is not a year I'm going to hear that number. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you just double down and say, well, this year we're just hunkering down and not uh, and riding it out and seeing what happens next year. Yeah. Are, are you 100% focused on kickoff labs or you do like side investments? Are you at all tinkering with other things? I, I've got a couple of side projects, but nothing that I charge money for at this point. Gotcha. Um, and so just things, honestly, at this point, my side projects are things where I'm looking at like, how can we help kickoff labs? And so like, it's, yeah. I'm building a couple marketing products on the side that aren't part of, like I said, there's features in kickoff labs we would have loved to have had, but don't fit with that core vision of like our core customer is and what they want to do with it. Mm -hmm. But they're things that maybe we as a business could use. And so we've been building some of those tools on the side of, okay, what can we do to help with our social media? What can we do to help with, to help with our SEO? What can we do to automate some more of our, our business process behind the scenes? And those are things we look at, you know, releasing as maybe separate products or, you know, down the road as something, as something more unique. Very um, cool. To the point of, you know, the referrals and kickoff labs, it does power our own referral program for paid referrals. But we're really not a paid referral program. So if somebody came to us and said, we want to set up a, a SaaS referral program, there'd be a lot of custom work involved in Kickoff Labs to make it work for them. And we've mm -hmm. done it for a couple of people, but that's something where it's like, you know, maybe we should get into that space, but as a separate product, because we've got the expertise and the tooling around doing referrals, but not, you know, handling the payouts and like managing all that and all of that stuff. The thought of adding that to Kickoff Labs and boosting the complexity for people who just want to run a contest Mm -hmm. so that's not worth it to us yeah, so yeah. It'd be something where it's like, okay we could take parts of the product and break it off it's like its own separate thing yeah 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 it could be collateral damage no very cool all right so i wanted to so you initially use this to validate your own idea if i'm someone that i have an idea i want to use kickoff labs to validate what advice would you give to them to use this tool the right way like where should they get started yeah. So I own so many domains, <laughs> like everybody does. Some people are even better than me. They just don't even start the domain. They use our, our subdomain and they just see, they put up a page, a quick proposition, maybe a video or something, or just like sometimes like a personal letter on the site about the product that they want to build and describing it and just start testing the message and just start using it to test the marketing. You don't have to set up a referral system. You don't have to set up giveaways. Like I wouldn't start with that stuff until you knew you were going to go down that path, but just having something up that was easy to set up and quick to go and just start doing that validation of like what we did at first. So can you convince people to sign up? Because a lot of time product validation isn't so much product validating product market fit. You may have a pro product that has a market, but maybe you're not the right person to reach that market. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the that was the way with a lot of the other ideas that we didn't implement is I think a lot of them were great ideas, but maybe not the best ideas for us because we hadn't proven that we could market those ideas at that time. 
Like yeah. We haven't proven that we were the ones to get invested in that space. And so I would val- do the validation on the business and myself. Could I do that? And then once I started, saw some people signing up, I would be heavily engaged with them and say, you know, what is what and work with them, like the first 10 people that sign up and say, like, what does the messaging look like? What convinced you to sign up and have those customer interviews with those 10 people? Then you roll out V2 of your wait list. You have it on an actual domain. You set up a simple referral thing and just a wait list mechanics. And you say, okay, now we're going to validate. Can we market it? And is the idea refined enough that people will share? And mm-hmm. then you start adding on to that. Okay, oh, will people join us on Twitter? Will people like join, like read newsletters we put out about this? And just start again, like leveling up and using our product as an amplification mechanism to level up that way. So Two different use cases. I said about half our customers are startups. The other half are existing businesses doing uh, doing list engagement, which is different than this mm-hmm. case that I'm talking about about starting a new business. Gotcha. And well, let's even talk about list engagement. Or right, so that is that when you say list engagement, is that to reactivate or activate an existing list or to build a list? To grow the list of people that you're directly connected with or your audience in different places. So we just had Walker Shortbread. So the company that makes like the shortbread cookies, yeah. they ran a contest for a couple months, like giving away basically, I call it a lifetime. They called it a year supply with the amount they're giving away. <laughs> for me, it would have been a lifetime of Walker cookies, but, and, and they are tasty, but, but the, you know, they set up this simple contest and they hadn't focused yet much on building their own email list audience. They'd focused a lot maybe on social media in the last few years, but not having a more direct connection with their customers. Mm -hmm. And so they promoted the contest on their social media channels to kind of cross promote and get people over to their direct connection of an email channel on the list. And, you know, without giving away the numbers, I mean, they came close to doubling a size of their email list with this simple contest where they gave one person like a year's supply of cookies. And so and and they're doing this like through the and so the contest was basically saying join the newsletter list and then hey not only join the newsletter list but then but then you know if you weren't following us on Facebook follow us on Facebook if you weren't following us here so it was kind of yeah. cross promoting their other channels to do that audience growth so it up leveled their audience so now when they run a marketing campaign and they go to Facebook and they say we're going to run a marketing campaign they've got a much wider net that they can cast of people who are potentially interested in their product yeah right and so by list engagement, I really mean audience growth. And so that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. what it's after is engaging the list to keep, you know, instead of just the boring, you know, I call it list engagement because I, I like it instead of doing like the boring, just like, here's an update about the latest batch of cookies. Yeah. Like, it's something fun that you can do as a business to get customers excited about your product in a time or times you may not have anything really exciting to announce. Yeah. Yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a good way to make noise in like the trough times of your business. So there's a reason to to think about the brand. So w- with that in mind, we kind of mentioned at the top, like some iconic examples of list growth, right? What Harry's did with the tiered referral campaign, Robinhood with the, the wait list and sharing it out to move up on the wait list. Mm-hmm. What are some innovative things you've seen that people listening can learn from to grow their list. And it could be for a consumer brand, an e-commerce company. I know you guys do a lot of stuff with Shopify, or it could be for a B2B company, open to anything. What are some things that have gotten your attention? Oh, that's that's a good best practice or an innovative idea. Yeah, I saw this question on your list. And the first thought I had, because I've answered similar questions before, is actually there's refinements. And but since we've been doing this long enough, the basic human psychology doesn't change. 
right? So people, first of all, they will join and share and share a, they'll join and share a product if they think the product is cool. And then by Mm -hmm. extension of that, do they think the product makes them look cool, right? Mm -hmm. And so you talk about like Harry's razor, like there was a market, there was a need, there was like this cool factor to it where it felt like people made them feel cool. And the fact that their referrals augmented what they were doing, but they might have been a success without it. They just got there faster with the with mm-hmm. the with the referrals. I don't think the mechanics of psychology of the concept of getting people excited about something excited enough that they'll share and then measuring that in a way have changed. We just have better tools to measure that now. We have better tools to engage with it. And the audience places you're growing the audience have grown a bit. That said, I will say that if you're talking about if you're talking about running a contest just like Robin Hood did, right? And you say we're just going to set up a waitlist and we're going to grow by people moving up in line. Robin Hood had an advantage there because their audience in the fintech space and we still see this today with fintech contests and promotions in the fintech space is a highly competitive place. And so the waitlist there being just like your place in line seeing that number move up was motivation enough for those for that audience. Mm-hmm. Seeing your number move up for some other product and audience might not be the right motivation because they might that audience might look at it like parents. So we have people that have run campaigns for products for kids. So one of them is called Get the Fort. It's this fort that you would build in your in your living room instead of using the couch cushions and they've got these velcro things you put together. Really cool product. But when he if he had tried a waitlist campaign run just the same way that that Robin Hood did, his audience of parents, they're not competitive. They don't have time to be competitive, but they do have time to go share the product. They do have time to follow him places. They do have time to take these other actions. And so matching the campaign and the types of engagement with your audience is critical. And that's what I see people refining in the last few years mm-hmm. is really thinking deeply about what's going to excite my audience, not just about the product, but what about this campaign is going to excite the audience? And so in the get the case of the Get the Fort case, he ran his wait list more as a contest. And so it was mm-hmm. literally giving away that you would have exclusive access to colors that you couldn't get otherwise. So if you wanted the, the bright pink one, if you wanted the lime green version, the only way to get it was to participate in this contest and win mm-hmm. one of the rounds or earn enough rewards to be in the top and the top X people to get that exclusive thing. But it wasn't done in that wait list sort of like making people feel bad about, you know, that they're not at the top of the wait list. It was done as, yeah, you're so special. You get the green one and yeah. you get the blue one. And there was one for everybody. It's just some people got some exclusive access and, and, it, and it drove the excitement of people that wanted those things. And so... It's that marrying together of these techniques, which I think are universal and based in human psychology, matching it with the specific needs of an audience. And that's where the excitement is today is saying, you know, what can you do for your specific audience, for your specific audience? And so like this one guy who is selling this product that was, it was a more puzzle thing for, for adults and kids. And without getting into it, it's a pretty complex puzzle. And his thinking was his audience would realize that they wouldn't want to participate in a bonus entry sweepstakes because they're just actually maybe lowering their odds of winning by inviting their friends. Yeah. So what he did was he's like, all right, here's the deal. If a friend wins, you win. Oh, like, nice. We, we, we're going to give the grand prize to the person who, the person who wins and then the person who referred them. And they each win in that chain. And that drove a lot of excitement. I thought that was a really unique creative idea to set up with Kickoff Labs is like just telling people like, hey, like 
there's value in referring people because if they win, we're going to let you win. And so that mechanic has proven really strong in, in the last year. That's so, and I, I've seen a lot of them. I have not heard of that one. That's a very good idea. One thing with our giveaways that we've run, we tend to see a better success rate based on like the perceived value of it. And we always play with this. Like we can get the value to be over $500 and we try and make an image that shows all the things. So it feels high. We did one with the wine brand where they were able to go to their castle for a tasting. And so the perceived value was super high. I don't know, is do you, is there like a line in the sand? Like we do a giveaway, it has to be over $250 or it's probably not that direct, but in, any other like tips there? I mean, that is the that is the actual number I've had other people tell me is that $250 <laughs> seems to be the line that if it's like a $100 gift card for a store, people are like, eh, yeah. but like 250 people are like, now we're talking some money. And I don't know if it's like <laughs> inflation has changed that number, but like in the last couple of years, the 250, you're, you're not the only person that's mentioned it. So I don't know if it goes around in like contest circles that that's the number, but that is, that is kind of the line for a small business that I've seen until you don't get attention unless it's at least that. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of makes sense. Like if you're going to spend, if you think about the amount you'd spend on an advertising campaign to really test it and make it worthwhile, you're going to spend like 300 to $400 at least to prove an advertising campaign out for business and to say, let's allocate another two to 300 to try and amplify that and run it as a contest because we're going to give away this prize is, is it's an easy, easy win for people to, to think about that, that level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there has to be, I think, Regardless of the exact dollar amount, there has to be an excitement about, like you said, the, I think the right, you put it a great way, which was to say the perceived value, because mm -hmm. it might not cost the winery much to do the tasting in their cave. Yeah. <laughs> but the perceived value of that is, oh, that's this really cool experience. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's something that they're, that resonated probably with their audience, I imagine. And so, yeah, that's what I, when I talked about like the, the growth in this, these techniques is all about is all about how you match it more specifically to your audience because you know them better. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. And one last question I like to ask everybody is, what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? Yeah, so I had, like I said, I've had you know some some bad managers and good managers, and I will say the one of the best managers I had was when I worked at Microsoft, and I was just kind of down on some projects we were on that were just taking a while. And he told me a couple of things. One of the things he told me is one of these sessions, just like, Hey, you have to understand. He's like, he's, if your win or loss is dependent on whether or not you got something done this month or next month, you're in the wrong game. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be playing this and looking back on a six to 12 month horizon and not looking at like a one to two week horizon and, and, and focusing on those failures within the last two weeks you have to focus on the progress that's been made over the year. And just that that kind of kind like self-care of looking back at progress has been really, really useful. And just combining that with the concept of, you know, thinking about your product is that like, it's easy to get sucked into every day being like, go, 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 go. I have to get this done today. I have to get this done today. And, and the reality is you just have to make progress on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You get excited about an upcoming product release. And, you know, because I was talking to him still after we started a business and you get excited about an upcoming product release. And what he said was, what you'll discover is that like this thing that's a big launch or a big event happening for you and you've built up all of this in your head, it's just Tuesday. <laughs> so true. It's just Tuesday. You're going to go home. You're going to have dinner. Like you're going to do this X, Y, and Z. 
And it may or may not have, you know, be a big, huge day in your business. But if you made progress towards your goal, it's probably going to be a win in the end. And it's proven so true. Like we've made huge changes to kickoff labs and I get so, you still get so excited. You're like, this is the day, you know, we're going to see a, like an influx and the graph's going to go from this to this. And like, it doesn't happen right away because people take a long time to make purchase decisions and people who are signing up and buying now are people who actually may have heard about us based on marketing and features we had six months ago. Mm-hmm. Right. So something we released today probably doesn't have its full impact for at least another six months in the in the marketplace. And so I can be all excited about it, but it turns out it was just Tuesday. <laughs> that's so true. I think that's also helpful for people to get down on themselves because they just like in the short term and they don't take a step back to be like, oh wow, look what I've accomplished or built in the past year. Cause we we've been very guilty of that. And we made ourselves do like this annual reflection and be like, oh, okay, we are doing this the right way. We're not just beating ourselves up every day. But no, that that that's really good yeah. context. And I, and, I, and I say it was kind just because it was like it's in the context of you know working at Microsoft could be stressful. And it's just he was just like, listen, you need to calm <laughs> like just <laughs> take a moment for yourself and realize, you know, this business wouldn't be here if it was focused on just next week. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And where, if people want to learn more about Kickoff Labs or more about you, where should we point? Them? Yeah, so like I have a I have a website, a blog at joshledgard.com. It's where I post more like less some Kickoff Lab stuff, some not Kickoff Lab stuff. So you can connect with me directly there. You can send an email to josh at kickofflabs.com. And then obviously you can follow Kickoff Labs on Twitter, on Mastodon, on Facebook, get connected that way. Um, or come to kickofflabs.com and just sign up for the product. You don't have to be ready to use it today. But like I said, you'll get an opportunity to join our newsletter list. And you'll get on our mails and get the tips and tricks and the videos we send out so that when you are ready, you're prepared. Yeah. And again, this isn't just like some plug because you're nice. Like even before I spoke to you, we, we use Kickoff Labs quite a bit. It's kind of our go-to. So it's an awesome tool. So it's fun to talk to you. And the fact that you're in Seattle is also very cool. Josh, thank you again for the time. Really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. 
it's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.